Mirrors are a blessing and a curse. My father spent most of his career selling and installing mirrors, so I've been around a lot of them, and I've worked with him to help install them in people's bathrooms or maybe for a home gym or in restaurants and bars and such. We all know that mirrors help us see ourselves, and they provide us guidance to perform everyday simple tasks like brushing and flossing our teeth or combing our hair or maybe shaving or trimming our beard or even making sure that our clothes look right before we go out into public. A mirror gives us a direct reflection of whatever is put in front of it. However, a mirror can also reveal our blemishes too. Sometimes the mirror is not our friend because we can look into it not liking what we see. For instance, those gray hairs that tend to grow in places we'd rather them not, or maybe even that unibrow we notice that begins to grow when our eyebrows come together, or maybe it's those nose hairs or hairs growing out of our ears that need to be dealt with, or food stuck between our teeth, or maybe we notice a pimple forming on our face, or maybe even as we stand before the mirror, we begin to notice that unwanted weight that makes us self-conscious. The mirror can lead us to judgments, well, both good and bad, about ourselves and sometimes even about others, especially when we compare others to ourselves. And so Jesus' words today remind us of the importance of looking into the mirror first. Jesus tells us, do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you used, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye. Jesus gives us guidance for living together and seems to be prohibiting judgment of one another. Now, personally, I have heard many people throughout my years of ministry quote only the first part of this passage, do not judge. These are Jesus's words, a command that comes with a warning for anyone who refuses to listen to them. He says that our judgment of others is indicative of how we will be judged too. So the question for us today is whether or not we are forbidden from all judgments or if Jesus is speaking about specific types of judgments here. You see, the Greek word for judge is krino, and it can mean several different things such as ordinary discernment, judicial litigation, bestowal of a reward, pronouncement of guilt, and the absolute determination of someone's fate. Now, I bring this to your attention because if you read the gospel accounts, you will find numerous occasions in which Jesus makes judgments about others. Most often, his judgments are directed toward the Pharisees and the scribes and the teachers of the law. For example, Jesus calls them a brood of vipers and whitewashed tombs. 
even goes on to tell Nicodemus in John chapter 3, you are Israel's teacher and you do not understand these things. Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but you people do not accept our testimony. In the next chapter of John, he calls out a Samaritan woman at the well saying, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, is that you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Jesus also issues judgments on cities that refuse to repent, even though he performed miracles in them. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says, Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. Why is it that Jesus seems to break his own command? James 4.12 tells us, There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? So the simple answer is that Jesus is the righteous judge who is able to make truthful judgments about all of us. The truth is, is that Jesus knows us inside and out, and he's able to speak the truth to us, not to condemn us, but to lead us to repentance. Now, sometimes Jesus is very direct about these things, getting our attention to move us out of our sins so that we might follow him in his righteousness. But Jesus also makes judgments based on facts. In other words, Jesus is not telling us that we can't make any judgments about others. Rather, he's saying that we're not allowed to sit in the judge's seat, pronouncing guilt on others and determining their fate. That's his rightful place, not ours. And he knows that all of us make judgments about one another, whether right or wrong. Therefore, he warns us about doing this in a condemnatory way. Now, Luke's gospel also parallels Matthew's gospel with what we know as the Sermon on the Plain. Luke says this, Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. So we're not to judge others in a condemnatory way. Well, Jesus goes on in Luke's gospel to offer a parable as we know it as the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And Luke tells us that Jesus addresses this parable to those who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. If you're unfamiliar with this uh, parable, the parable is about a tax collector who prays to God, asking for God's mercy, acknowledging his sinfulness to God, beating his breast, and not even looking up to heaven. Meanwhile, next to him stands a Pharisee who also offers prayer to God, thanking God that he's not like robbers or evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector who's right next to him. His prayer is focused on how he is better than the sinner right next to him. You see, the Pharisee in the parable apparently hadn't looked in the mirror recently. 
he can't see any of his own blemishes, blinded by all the wonderful things that he is doing for God, which makes him feel even more righteous in comparison to this wretched tax collector who has cheated people out of their money. But Jesus says that the tax collector went home justified, not the Pharisee. You see, the Pharisee judged the tax collector and is judged by Jesus with the same measure of judgment that he gave. And I can assure you that those who heard Jesus' parable were shocked that he would exalt a sinner and humble a righteous man. But we know that Jesus is the great physician, the ophthalmologist, so to speak, who desires to give us clear vision. Now, he doesn't give us glasses or contacts to solve the problem. He simply hands us a mirror. And he tells us to take a good look at ourselves before we start looking at everyone else. And in doing so, we will probably find the solution to our problem, the log or the plank in our own eye. And that plank serves as a reminder of all the unrighteous things that we've done. And this plank is much larger in comparison to the speck of sawdust that we see in our brother or sister's eye. You see, before our heads inflate so large that we can't fit through the door, Jesus reminds us to think about the mercy that we have received from God. Titus chapter 3 verses 4 and 5 tells us, But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. Jesus is the only one justified to exalt himself above us, and yet he doesn't even do that. The Apostle Paul reminds us in Philippians chapter 2 that Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. He humbled himself by becoming obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Jesus calls us to take a good look at ourselves and to remember God's abundant mercy and forgiveness towards us. If we refuse to do this, we become hypocrites Actors who put on masks to hide who we truly are underneath. And so Jesus tells us, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give to dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. It's important to note that Jesus doesn't tell us to ignore the speck of sawdust in our brother or sister's eye or to tolerate it or to act like it doesn't exist. Instead, we are to look at the own planks in our own eye before we have that conversation with them. In doing so, we are reminded and centered that in God's eyes, we are just as guilty as the person who is in the wrong. And it's true. I mean, we may not murder someone in our lifetime, but we've probably called someone an idiot or wished them dead in our heart. We may not physically cheat on our spouse, but we've looked lustfully at other people. 
the truth is, is that all of us need forgiveness and mercy because we stand condemned and guilty by the law. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus is the righteous judge who was judged in our place. And because of this, we aren't condemned, but we're set free. And so in being set free, you and I are called to follow him and to walk in his ways. And in doing so, we are to follow his standard of living and to hold one another accountable to it. In fact, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 says, What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Now this judgment that Paul is talking about is not about condemning anyone for what they've done wrong or punishing them. Rather, all discipline is meant to direct us towards repentance, forgiveness, and mercy. In this manner, church discipline becomes restorative. In fact, the book of order that we abide by as Presbyterians in the PCUSA, it says it this way to us. The power that Jesus Christ has vested in his church, a power manifested in the exercise of church discipline, is one for building up the body of Christ, not for destroying it, for redeeming, not for punishing. It should be exercised as a dispensation of mercy and not of wrath, so that the great ends of the church may be achieved, that all children of God may be presented faultless in the day of Christ. Jesus goes on to say in Matthew chapter 18, If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault, just between the two of you. Now, if they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they do not listen... Take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two to three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to even listen to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or even a tax collector. Jesus is not telling us to shy away from our brother or sister in Christ who have veered off the narrow road that leads to life. Rather, we're called to speak the truth and love to them to help them get back on that path. And what we say and how we say it matters. And so referring to the day of judgment, Jesus says in Matthew 12, 37, For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. You see, when we've removed the plank in our own eyes, our vision is not blurred by our own self-righteousness, which allows us to appropriately see and respond to judgments that are based on on facts. These judgments discern the difference between the acts of the flesh and the fruits of the Spirit. So when Jesus goes on to say uh, not to give to dogs what is sacred or to throw our pearls to swine, he's acknowledging that some people are unwilling to listen to the truth. Some people can't handle the truth and they don't want anyone telling them what they should be doing. Some people are unwilling to repent, receiving the sacred gift of grace that leads us to correction. And we have to acknowledge that if Jesus offered these judgments in order to restore people back to God and they refuse to listen to him, well, in reality, we're probably going to encounter people in our own life who also refuse to listen to us. 
So Jesus instructs us to be as wise as serpents and as innocent as doves. He reminds us that the merciful are blessed, for they will be shown mercy. And he teaches us to pray together, saying, Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And he warns us in our judgments not to shame or to condemn others and not to be self-righteous. Instead, Jesus holds up a mirror so that we might remove the obstructions that blind us from seeing him clearly, so that we may walk in the way of humility, acknowledging how great our debts are and how God has forgiven all of them. He calls us to be faithful, and he gives us direction as the church to make sound judgments in our relationships with one another. And he also calls us to do the hard work, helping our brothers and sisters in Christ remove the sawdust that hinders their vision of him too. In doing so, we are able to see Jesus clearly and to follow his lead as his disciples. You see, it's not that we're not called to make judgments at all. It's that we're not called to be the righteous judge. So friends, as we follow Jesus, the righteous judge, may we always take a good look in the mirror before we make any judgments about others. And when we do make them, may they be done in a loving way that seeks to promote repentance and redemption, reconciliation and restoration. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. I know that all of us certainly want this measure from God for us to be the way that we would treat others as well. Friends, my prayer is that we would do just that. Not assuming that we can't make judgments at all. That would be misunderstanding what Jesus is saying. Instead, issuing judgments based on facts that seek to correct and restore one another as we seek to be faithful as God's church together. Friends, may we do this, this day and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.